Dotnet Rocks episode 916 with guest Ronnie Shuchuk. Recorded live Friday, September 20th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklin's.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to Dotnet Rocks. It's Kyle and Richard, and uh, it's the barbecue show. What's up, buddy? I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Oh, for sure, man. And and, it, and it's kind of funny that we're sort of at the end of barbecue season. You know, the summer's kind of over, because I've been cooking up a tornado, but uh, and then I brought in a friend just to make this really crazy. Well, you know, I think I heard on your show that you did with Ronnie earlier that uh, barbecuing in the winter is not beyond reason oh not at all we, we use a you know i've got full outdoor kitchen so it, yeah. it pretty much goes all year round there's heaters and stuff out there even if you have a grill you know fire it up yep, there's no reason something. you can't use it just because it's cold outside doesn't no. mean you can't stand there in your slippers come on now <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. but uh, during the summer you know it's every weekend and most days during the week so you know the dynamic is different all right. Well, I decided I'd do Better Know Frameworks anyway during the Geek Out shows. I'm just not going to talk about the framework. All right. So roll that freaking stupid music. You love that music. I love it. It's stupid, but I love it. What do you got? <laughs> Tinyurl.com slash Bread Slicer. I like when you just lead with the link. That's great. Bread Slicer. This is a Japanese bread slicer. What? On Amazon.com. It's on 19 bucks. It's a piece of plastic. A couple of pieces of plastic. It has a guide with slots. Uh-huh. That you uh, basically determine how thick the slices are going to be. You stuff the loaf up against the, the guide. And then there's a slot for the knife, and you just pull it down in and slice it right down. Okay. And let me tell you something. It might seem trivial, but it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So you have one of these. I have one of these, and I love it, and it works great. And, you know, because slicing bread is one of those things nobody likes to do because, let's face it, you don't have eyes at all angles, and you never know if you're going askew on the other side of the loaf when you're slicing it. And you always end up with a, shall we say, a less than symmetrical slice of bread. (laughs) And then once you screw that up, then you have to compensate on the next slice, and now you have two screwed up slices of bread. And if you screw that one up, well, you get it. You end up with half a loaf of screwed up slices of bread. So, uh, you know... I've gotten into sourdough making lately uh, and um, having slices of, uh, you know, having loaves of bread around is great, but my kids don't know how to slice bread and they have the same problems that I do. So what I do is I take the loaves out of the oven, let them cool for a while, and I slice them up, put them in a bag. Hey, it's sliced bread, just like from the store. Awesome. And, you know, short of having one of those electric slicers that the bakeries have, because let's face it, who wants that in their kitchen? This is the best option, and it's 20 bucks. Yeah, you don't want to go too crazy. 
Yeah. And, you know, look at the reviews. People love it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny how people get wound up about, uh, about strange little devices <laughs> like this. It's a piece of plastic. It's a piece of plastic, but it's a good piece of plastic. Yeah. It's good. That's awesome, man. Good it find. Is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. For the barbecue show. I love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 900. The one we did on automated driving. A very popular. Very popular. Show. And I've read a few comments off of it before and I'm going to continue because this one's from Deb Walker. Hey, Carl and Richard, Steve and I, and that's Steve Strong, who we actually visited on the last road trip. That's right. Listen to this episode as we were driving through the mountains of West Virginia, which you and I did on that road trip, too, as I recall. (laughs) Using the adaptive cruise control on our Subaru Outback. We bought this car in February, and it has the EyeSight option, which are stereo cameras on either side of the rearview mirror. It has adaptive cruise control, which maintains a safe distance from the car in front, including coming to a complete stop, if necessary, without ever touching a brake. Hmm. It warns you when the car in front of you is pulled away. It warns you when you leave a lane without using a turn signal. And it warns you if it thinks you're falling asleep. It brakes automatically to prevent a collision. If you are parked at a wall and put it in drive and step on the gas, it won't move. That's really smart. That's amazing. It already does most of what you described for the expensive Mercedes and for about $34,000. Wow, the Subaru Outback, huh? Yeah. The only downside is that the cameras can be blinded by extreme sunlight, in which case it will warn you that eyesight is unavailable, and then you're on your own. Yeah. And I've had that experience with my car, too, where the uh, the uh, adaptive cruise control just bails on you. It goes, ah, I'm not sure what's going on. Bye. But at least it knows that it's not confident. Yes. You know? That's and, good. And steps away with lots of beeps and boops and lets yeah. it, and warns you. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with Deb. This is a lot of what that expensive Mercedes S-Class does. I think the big thing that Mercedes added, and this is the line. I've, try- I've been trying to figure out what's the line, what's automated, when are we really crossing into automated driving, mm. and when is it still, you know, just assistance? Mm-hmm. And I think the big one, and this is where Mercedes did that dance with the S-Class, it's the steering. Right. You know, it's it's okay to beep at you when you leave the lane. What the S-Class actually does is tap brakes to pull you back into the lane. Right. But everybody so far has avoided controlling the steering wheel in any way. Yeah. And I think that's the magic line. The moment the wheel turns itself, the life's uh, different. That's that's crossing the line. We can handle braking, even accelerating, which is always very spooky with adaptive cruise control when it does that. But once it starts changing direction without our direct input, then then things are getting crazy. Yeah, I think, and that's really the level of trust where 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 you have basically entrusted your life to this car. You Absolutely. know it. Yeah. It changes everything. And so Deb finishes off with, we're believers in automated cars as the way of the future, and the availability of EyeSight was the number one reason we selected the Subaru. You should give Subaru a shout out for making advanced safety features affordable to the masses, or at least to the middle class. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we just did that. I think we just did. <laughs> wait a minute. On the other hand, no, we really shouldn't. No, we shouldn't do no, that. We but wait. That. Yeah. So, Deb, a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those great apps were built by the folks at Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you an app, too. Just go to their website at DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release over 40 new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. 
Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And now, it is my great pleasure to introduce Rockin' Ronnie Shuchuk. He is the author of three best-selling cookbooks, including his latest, Barbecue Secrets Deluxe. He is also the host of the Barbecue Secrets Podcast, a magazine-style talk show that celebrates the many pleasures of outdoor cooking. In 2005, Ronnie was named by Food & Wine Magazine as one of America's greatest grillers, alongside chefs that included Bobby Flay and Stephen Raiklin. As chief cook of the Butt Shredders competitive barbecue team, and I'm not making that up, folks, Ronnie and his friends made history in 2001 by becoming the first Canadians to win a U.S. barbecue championship, the Oregon State Open. Ronnie is the self-appointed Dean of Barbecue Academy and, quote, Institute of Higher Grilling, unquote, that offers a curriculum of outdoor cooking demonstrations, luxury retreats, team-building workshops, and motivational speeches with a barbecue theme. Ronnie lives in North Vancouver, British Columbia. When he isn't tending something on the grill, he's a communication consultant and video producer specializing in employee engagement, crisis communications, and business applications of social media. Welcome to .NET Rocks, Ronnie. Hi, Carl. Glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Um, and Now, you and Richard did some stuff together. Now, you tell me what it was that you guys did. We've done a few things. We like to cook together at least once a year. And most recently, uh, we gathered at Richard's palatial barbecue. I think it, you could call it a, a barbecue mansion. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. You got the best backyard of anybody I know. It's amazing. Complete and with black bears. Yeah. And we cooked up a storm. Well, I, 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 I made um, some grilled calamari. Uh, with uh, kind of fresh mint and crushed chilies and garlic and some quesadillas, some grilled quesadillas with smoked Gouda, oh. Granny Smith apples, and rosemary. Oh, man. They're and good. I did about a 10-pound brisket, right? It disappeared from the from our, our group. I put it on the smoker at uh, 8 p.m. the night before, and it went right around the clock. And people inhaled it. Yeah, it, it, I meant to. I always save a couple of cups for my butcher, just to let him know, you know, this is what I did with your meat. <laughs> Didn't get a chance; it was all gone. No, no. So I've been grilling and barbecuing as long as I can remember being alive, and one of the things that I love about it is it I, I seems to touch in me. And I, my smoking cracker does it touch in us some ancient memory in our collective unconscious of you know, cavemen uh, cooking meat over a fire. It seems something like we've been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that just I seems agree. very satisfying. It is. There's a primal thing to it. You know, um, I think that there's a nerve in the back of everybody's skull. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more prominent in men, but um, I call it the, the Kingsford nerve. <laughs> and uh, That's a modern and whenever twist, you smell, it? when you yeah. whenever you smell Kingsford charcoal being lit, yeah, it ignites this primitive part of your brain that goes all the way back to you know when Fred Flintstone first put that rack of ribs on the side of his car. I, I had this conversation with a vegan once, and the vegan said, "And I'm sorry, Richard, because I know your wife's vegan, but I, I don't think that your wife is vegan in a way that she she this person was. This person said." 
quite quite honestly and believe that human beings were not born, were not meant to eat meat, that we're actually herbivores and that we learned to eat meat over time. And, and I said, well, that's just not true. And she said, well, how do you know? And I said, because I like it. I smell <laughs> meat and I want to eat it. A bear does not eat leaves because he's worried about his cholesterol. He likes it. You know, that's how I, I know I was meant to eat it. So true. Besides, Actually, I have the teeth for it and all of that stuff too. So absolutely, I'm, I mean, I've, there's been books about this where some people theorize that there are actually three separate streams of the human race, and depending on your genetic background and what part of the you know human history you come from, you are a natural uh, vegetarian or uh, an omnivore or or carnivore. And, Isn't and, that and, wonderful? And, and people have traced it down to people's blood types, even. So I Isn't do that think interesting? that some people are just naturally better suited to vegetables. So humans aren't all humans. Well, just different streams. Aren't all the same kind, I guess yeah. you'd say. Wow, I've never heard that theory before. So maybe she wasn't completely wrong. Yeah. Well, interesting. But certainly for me, you know, I'm a carnivore. Uh, when I eat pork, I can feel it healing me. Yeah, I mean, I literally, <laughs> dude. I am so with you. We are from the same strain of white guy, apparently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they just, is there barbecue in Connecticut, Carl? Oh yes, there is. Yeah, there is. As a matter of fact, one of and, and Richard will attest to this. Some of the best barbecue I've had is in Groton, Connecticut, Chester's Barbecue. Oh yes, Chester's got it going on. So Chet Dugas uh, spent fourteen years in Kansas City. For the f express purpose of learning barbecue with Fantastic. everybody he could. And he came back to Groton, Connecticut, which is where the Navy base is and uh, all of that, and uh, set up a shop and bought, you know, hollowed out an oil drum and made a smoker and then got, you know, more industrial smokers for his uh, for his business and just went to town. And I love it's it. some good stuff. But at my 40th birthday party, um, we had him come and do a pig roast. And it was fantastic. You know, one of my interests is tracing the history of Southern style barbecue. And it's fascinating to try to go back to the roots of that style of cooking. Because you can, you know, some people uh, talk about the German and Czech uh, deli guys, meat guys coming to East Texas or Central Texas and setting up these delis where they had smokers where they do their usual sausages and deli meats and then they would smoke shoulders of beef at the end of the day when they'd sold everything else out and that's when people would come and the sh black sharecroppers who couldn't get in any, any in in restaurants could come to the deli and buy some chopped beef clawed on a, a piece of paper and that's the first barbecue joint beef ever clawed what is that and how uh, do you spell it's it a, it's c-l-o-d but it's a, a whole beef shoulder Huh. That's cooked for a really long time. And that was the first barbecue in Central Texas. But then you can trace it all the way back to the West Indies when uh, the people who initially colonized the islands uh, that are now Jamaica and, and the islands around there, they developed this form of cooking that then the black slaves of the Spaniards who were freed when the British came intermingled with these aboriginal people and learned their techniques and then brought it uh, to the U.S. I mean, th th there are all these theories, but it's interesting how, it's to yeah. try to trace it back. 
Well, let's talk about the, I guess there, there's at least five, but there's probably more than five different barbecue styles. And by the way, barbecue is not the sauce, but it's the style of cooking, right? And, uh, but absolutely. Yeah. It's the low and slow style. But, uh, but certainly there are types of, uh, barbecue that do involve different types of sauce and application. So you got Memphis, you got St. Louis, Kansas City, North Carolina, South Carolina. Are there more in the U.S.? Oh, absolutely. Uh, certainly Texas is a style of barbecue. In fact, you could split it up between East, Central, and West Texas. There's different distinct styles there. Um, just recently on my podcast, I interviewed a guy, Wes Berry, who wrote a book called The Kentucky Barbecue Book. And Kentucky is kind of ignored in the kind of hmm. uh, the barbecue pantheon, but it has some really interesting and almost strangely distinctive style of barbecue where they, they cut a pork shoulder into eighth-inch steaks really super thin quarter to eighth inch steaks hmm. and cook that um, on a barbecue pit, dipping it in this sauce made from vinegar, black pepper, and lard. Huh. Wow. And if you're in a certain area of Kentucky, that's what constitutes a plate of barbecue. Wow. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And then you've got uh, in Alabama, you've got in Decatur, Alabama, you've got the famous Big Bob Gibson's barbecue, which specializes in chicken with what this white sauce that's mayonnaise based. That's very distinctive to Alabama. Huh. And it's got kick to it too. It's got quite a bit of pepper in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, um, and I think that uh, I like to think that a style of barbecue is starting to emerge in the Pacific Northwest, in Canada and and the, the Northwest, the Northwestern states of the U.S., the Pacific states, um, you know, we do our our cedar planked salmon, right? And uh, we do a lot of barbecue where, where we maybe incorporate some Asian flavors. Hmm. So I I think that it's and really interesting. Yeah, why not? Why not? It's it, I love the fact that barbecue Southern style bar- barbecue over the last twenty years or so has kind of become popularized across North America and the world. And, and it's kind of come into its own. It's, ah. You can, you know, 20 years ago, you could not find a barbecue joint right. in Western Canada. And, and now there are quite a few of them. All right. So let's go back real quick. Uh, Memphis. What is it about Memphis? Dry rub? Well, in Memphis, they, they cook ribs and there's a, always a, the, the competition between the dry and the wet ribs. Okay. In some restaurants, they, they, they serve both. Uh, there's real loyalists, and it's a difference between finishing it with, you know, like a, a tomato-based barbecue yeah. sauce or just finishing it with a, a sprinkling of dry rub. But pretty much you'll get them dry unless you ask for sauce on them usually, right? Yeah. Now, I haven't had the pleasure of going to Memphis, but that that's what I know. Yeah. And St. Louis? St. Louis? Sauce? Yes, sweet, uh, sweet, Thick. delicious. Yeah, and again, another local specialty in St. Louis. You can go and buy uh, a pig snout sandwich. It's what? Yeah, there's <laughs> they one. Take there's the bones one out first, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's deliciously chewy. Jeez, oh, no, I know, I know, it's true. Pig snout sandwich. Okay, Kansas City. Well, that's where I mean, uh, you've got Arthur Bryant, the, one, the kind of like the almost archetypical barbecue joint and you're going to get all kinds of barbecue at Arthur Bryant's, but a big slab of ribs mm. that are drenched in that Kansas city style sauce. It's very sweet. And they, they use a lot of sauce in that town. So what's the difference in sauce between St. Louis and Kansas city? I, I couldn't tell you. There are regional 
I think it's sweetness. Yeah. And the amount of tang and sweetness and the thickness of the sauce are all part of it. In Texas, mm. you'll get these sort of thin, watery sauces that are kind of Worcestershire sauce based. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in the, I think it's Western North Carolina or something like that. You've got the only place in the U.S. where mustard-based barbecue yeah. sauces are prevalent. Where's that, Texas? No, no that's, that's in the west side of North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Yeah, I was going to say, North Carolina is the vinegar and mustard. They like that kind of vinegary stuff. I've run across yeah. three different sauces in North Carolina. In the north, the sort of Raleigh area and so forth, it's straight vinegar sauce, a clear, a, a clear sauce, usually quite a bit of chili in it. Yeah. Uh, and in the west side, more uh, mustard. And in the south... And not South Carolina, but still North Carolina, but southern part, more tomato. Hmm. So, um, South Carolina, South Carolinians favor the mustard sauce, maybe? Is that what we're saying? No, no. So, Western, just recognizing how regional in North Carolina alone, which is pork country. Yeah, right, right. Right? They take a pork, They well, they, they really do pork picking, too, where they just hmm. cook a whole pig. Yeah, yeah. And you literally pick at it because you can't wait for people to cut it up. Mm. Well, and the, that's where I think that the the uh, that vinegar sauce that you talked about, Richard, is kind of the original barbecue sauce. It's yeah. just mm. simply vinegar, cider vinegar, uh, dried chilies, crushed dried chilies, and a little bit of sugar. And the theory is that that's kind of all they had yeah. back then. And the vinegar and the sugar helped to preserve them. There was no refrigeration. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that flavor, the tangy flavor of pulled pork with that vinegar sauce is kind of the classic, you know, Eastern seaboard barbecue. And where did the what barbecue sandwich on Wonder Bread with a pickle happen? What's that all about? <laughs> I think everywhere. Well, the, the, I think it's a natural combination. Like I yeah. think of white bread as the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, barbecue delivery device. Really? You you really don't want the bread to interfere with the barbecue. Yeah. You're not going to serve barbecue on some kind of a squirrely, you know, multi-grain, yeah, chewy bun. Yeah, not something bun. you have to rip apart with your teeth, that's for sure. No, so the, yeah. the, the bread becomes this just a, a way that you can hold the pulled pork in your hands without getting them wet. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I guess Wonder Bread probably isn't, you know, maybe the that the best because that just sort of disintegrates. But, a, you know, a hearty white bread that isn't going to fall apart is probably a better idea. No, Wonder Bread is the best. Are you kidding, it's really? soft and sweet, yes. And in fact, if I serve a pulled pork sandwich. isn't a pulled pork just going to like fall through the middle of a piece of Wonder Bread? I mean, that stuff just disintegrates, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, it yeah. does. And that's why I mean, a barbecue sandwich has a very short half-life. <laughs> you, you, you know, you have to eat it such kind of I love minutes, it. <laughs> minutes after it's made or else the sauce is going to come through the bun and you're doomed. Yeah. And in, in, in most of these restaurants, like Arthur Bryant's and others, they don't put the barbecue on the bread when they serve it to you. Okay. The, the, whoever's serving it to you grabs <laughs> like uh, eight slices out of the loaf, puts it on the side of your, your cafeteria it. tray and you, and you go for it yourself. It's up to you, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. So, in, in Texas, um, brisket is a is a big thing. I know briskets all over. You know, St. Louis, Kansas City, and uh, all over the South, brisket is a thing. But in Texas, I know they love their brisket. Oh, they really do. And I've got the chance to go down there and get inside some of the kitchens of some of the most famous Central Texas barbecue joints, and they cook brisket. It's it's really a purist approach where the brisket is seasoned with salt, black pepper, and cayenne, and that's it. And then it's cooked with oak 
usually oak, and they call it post oak, and it's a wild oak that grows, uh, it's like a weed, like mesquite, and people get it, you know, pay to get it taken off their land, and the barbecue joints use it for their cooking wood. Hmm. And these briskets are, the, the, the taste of this oak is really soft and um, it's almost sweet. There's this distinctive smell when you walk into a, a Central Texas barbecue joint. And they'll cook brisket over that. And they've got another really big specialty is the Texas link or the hot link. Oh, yeah. And it's beef sausage with quite a bit of fat content. And, and, it's seasoned, and, and pepper. It's seasoned a similar way. And my favorite, actually, uh, they do a similar treatment of mutton. And a mutton shoulder chop from one of these uh, joints in central Texas will, it, it's just unbelievable. Now, and, mutton is lamb, but isn't it usually like an older lamb yeah, that yeah. is kind of older and tougher and so then therefore lends itself well to barbecuing because, you know, something you're going to cook low and slow is going to let that tough meat sort of melt away. All that. That's uh, right. Yeah. That, that's the geeky. Another part of bar barbecue geekery is the chemistry of barbecue is the connective tissue or collagen. Yeah. Um, is the protein that holds muscles together. Mm. So muscle, uh, which is meat, it has muscle tissue. It's got intramuscular fat, which gives it all the flavor. And it's got collagen. The tougher cuts have more collagen because they're the parts of the animal that are worked the most, like mm. the shoulder or the yeah. breast, right? Right. And so over a very long, slow, low cooking time, the collagen breaks down and starting at about 140 degrees Fahrenheit and it turns to gelatin. And what that means is that um, in barbecue terms, the meat gives up the ghost. It's delicious. It, it, it <laughs> loosens up and becomes tender. And the, because the collagen turns into gelatin, that's like, that's like broth. Yeah. So you have the kind of the meat is kind of basting itself from the inside mm. and the, the fat melts in with it. And then when Just you take a bite wonderful. of real barbecue, it is, it, it's transporting. It's, yeah. It is a heavenly thing. Yeah, it's wonderful. Hey, you talk about short lifespans. I feel like my ribs, which typically I use side ribs and I smoke them about five hours. There's about a one hour window where they're magical. And yeah. then they're good after that. But in that, yeah. once you've had them when they're perfect, you're wrecked. Yep. Like you'll never have them any other way again. <laughs> and there's some more, there's some more barbecue geekery is there are aromatic hydrocarbons that are coming off of the wood and the charcoal and then penetrating the meat. And some of them are so volatile that they just don't last that long. Yeah. So a piece of barbecue, some barbecue that's coming right out of the pit. Is is going to be the most fragrant and the tastiest, and and these big barbecue joints like in East Texas, places like Lockhart and Elgin, they are cooking so much barbecue that they've constantly got briskets that are peaking, that are in the, you know, they take them right out of the barbecue pit mm. and start carving them, and and you know it's hard to get in a right. even a big city like uh, like Vancouver where I live, you have a barbecue joint they don't have the critical mass. Uh, where they're they're feeding you know five thousand people a day or whatever it is, and so it's very hard to get really good fresh barbecue. And the the converse of that is when you take it and then let it cool and then put it in the fridge overnight and take it out, it has that it gets this metallic flavor that is really effing nasty, and you can always tell if you've been served a day old piece of pork <laughs> in a restaurant because it honestly it, it has this sort of tinny flavor to it 
I wonder if that's from the tinfoil that they wrap it in or something. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't it's know. Possible. But it just gets this, it just gets a nasty flavor after maybe, maybe more than a day. Hmm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I find I can hold pulled pork. Like I can wrap, I wrap that in a couple of layers of, of saran and then wrap it in foil and put it in the freezer. That comes back out and it's amazing when you heat it, heat it through. It's that's fine. true. If you're freezing it, yes. Yeah. yeah. Ribs don't keep. There's no way to keep ribs. Yeah. This is what I'm talking about. Ribs. Yeah. But brisket, fantastic, sliced thin the next day on a sandwich. Yeah. Cold, beautiful. What did we do, Richard, uh, the next day after um, the pig roast? Did we make uh, Cubans? Yep, we made Cuban sandwiches out of it. So we had good smoky pork, and we got a little ham, and uh, I made up a little uh, garlic aioli, just mayonnaise and and garlic together with uh, Swiss cheese and sliced pickles, and then we pressed the sandwiches. Oh, man, those were good. Yep, did you a use a foil-covered brick? Actually, uh, yeah. How did, how did you press it? I thought a, I used it. Didn't you have a big cast iron pan that I, I used to yeah, press Yeah, but we them? put That'll bricks work. on top of it, and uh, we had a pizza <laughs> stone in the oven. Right. And then put a cast iron pan down with bricks on it. Fantastic. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to throw it on my sourdough and buy into Wonder Bread. <laughs> Who knew? Oh, it's pretty sweet bread, man. I don't think I'd use it for anything other than barbecue. I don't think I'd use it at all, frankly. But anyway, <laughs> it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is, I need to tell you that Telerik's Kendo UI is everything you need to build HTML5 and JavaScript sites and mobile apps. With server-side wrappers for ASP.NET MVC, you'll be able to produce awesome HTML5 apps powered by Kendo UI without being forced to write that pesky JavaScript. Simply program on the server, and the Kendo UI wrappers will handle all the HTML and JavaScript for you. You'll have fun, and your boss will be amazed. Visit the official Kendo UI website at kendoui.com slash .net, that's D-O-T-N-E-T, to find out more about Kendo UI and download the free 30-day trial with full support. And don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. Awesome. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner of the DevCraft Complete Collection is Matt Gartman. Hi, congratulations, Matt. Golf clap for you, sir. Nice. Round of applause for Matt. You got the clappers. Got the clapper. Hey, I'm bringing it on the road trip. Nice. Love clappers on the road trip. Yeah. And uh, we also give away a Ben Wild CD. This is my solo album featuring the great John Schofield, who deserves a round of applause all by Absolutely. himself. Absolutely. Uh, I love you, John. If you like uh, Steely Dan, the Eagles, the Beatles, and good, funky, happy music, you'll like Ben Wild. It's at carlfranklin.com. Today's winner is Zeph Levin. Zeph. Congratulations, Zeph. We'll be sending that out to you. So you should be checking your email for uh, for an email from me. And if you get that, respond, and we'll send it to you. If you don't know what we're talking about, we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's everything Telerik does in one box to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. To be a fan club member, go to .NETrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the club. We have thousands of members. Every December, we're giving away $5,000 worth of stuff technology toys should be good to one lucky member (laughs) of the fan club but you got to be a member to win so ronnie (laughs) this is gonna be good we like to ask all of our guests and not just developers all of our guests if you had five thousand dollars to spend on technology ronnie what would you buy i guess i would buy i would probably buy a rolling barbecue pit 
Nice. Oh the, man. On the on the on the trailer? I would buy the kind that's mounted on a trailer. Uh, I think that that would probably buy me a secondhand one, and that's the kind of piece of technology that I could use. Wow. Well, you're still doing competitive barbecue. Yeah, but I mean, I've scaled down over the years. I, we competed in the Canadian National Barbecue Championships this year, but mm -hmm. there's a whole. Gen I mean, I started competing almost 20 years ago now, and there's a whole generation of Canadian cooks that are great, and uh, that I really, you know, when I go and compete now, I just basically do it for fun. Right. The the level of competition has gone way up. And if you're going to win a contest these days, you have to be in, in the game and competing on the circuit, maybe competing maybe three, five times a season at least. Right. It's a lot of work. Guys, we should really talk to folks about how to make barbecue yourself. What does it take? Do you need to have a dedicated smoker? Absolutely. Like how, what do you recommend, Ronnie? Well, first of all, I mean, the whole principle of barbecue is cooking, uh, you know, your big, tough, fatty pieces of meat or, or ribs, but you're, you're, you're cooking it low and slow. And that means trying to get the cooking temperature to somewhere a little bit above the boiling point, so 200, 225 degrees. And you can do that in a covered propane grill. Um, but it takes a little bit of, uh, of finicketing because you have to, you know, you use indirect cooking. Say you have three, uh, burners in your propane grill. You just use one of them and you put your meat on the other side of where the flame is and you create this sort of like a cooking chamber. And then you put some wood chips or chunks where the, where the, uh, flame is and that'll throw some smoke into the chamber and you can, you can cook pretty passable barbecue on your gas grill. So that's kind of like the default position if you want to try it. Right. The next the next step up is there's a whole uh, bunch of different products but really centered on the, the most popular one is the Weber Smoky Mountain Cooker. And that's this thing that kind of looks they they call them Weber bullets and it's black enamel and it kind of looks like a black version of R2D2. It's a, and, and sure. it's got it's got a charcoal uh uh a, pl a place you put charcoal in the bottom, and then it's got a water pan that rests above it. And then you've got two cooking grates and then a dome-style lid. And inside that cooker, it really emulates exactly the same environment that's in a, a big barbecue pit. And lots of people win. In fact, my team has always used the, the Weber Smoky Mountain cooker, and we've won lots of competitions with it. And so that will set you back anywhere from maybe three to five hundred dollars depending on the size and i noticed sure. that weber just came out with a this is 14 inch smoky mountain cooker that's the same circumference as the, their smoky joe their little portable uh thing and that'll be interesting because that's and i think the price point for that is under 300 bucks but i think if you want a, a starter kit like a basic starter kit get the 18 inch weber smoky mountain cooker and you can work with that um, but there are all kinds of other options. There are uh, electric smokers that a lot of uh, people like hunters and anglers use that, that, that where you can have wood shavings and there's an electric element and that, that can produce really great barbecue. Sure. And, and those little Bradleys, they're in the same price range as the Weber. That's right. They're about 300 bucks for a basic unit. Yeah. And so then there's another step up from that. And you've got sophisticated cookers that will use uh, pucks made of hardwood chips or pellets that are distributed into the cooking chamber with a, an electric auger that you can sort of set 
and go to bed and it'll stay at the same temperature and feed smoke to your meat all night. And those, uh, you know, you're getting into a higher range. That's like got, a Traeger? Yeah, and then that's a Traeger is a very good example of that. Mm-hmm. And you've got um, cookers that are the Kamado style, uh, like the, the big green egg is one of my favorites. And that is this uh, kind of ancient Asian design that's a, a sort of like an urn. If you can imagine a, like a tandoori oven sort you of a shape. have those, don't you? Yes. Yeah. And I love my egg and it's totally versatile. You can cook. In fact, I cooked some grilled sardines on Richard's egg once and I swear I got the temperature of that egg up to about 1100 degrees Fahrenheit. It was scream. The thing that's cool about the egg is that good hardware charcoal and some good airflow and it's screaming hot. Some of the best steaks I've ever made, I made on that egg. But you throttle it properly because you've got good control over the airflow. You can get it right down to the 225. That's sort of the ideal temperature for smoking. And as a geek, you can get a gizmo, a fan controller that will connect to your egg to automate the uh, the temperature control of the charcoal. And even has a Wi-Fi access to it and will feed data into your Excel spreadsheet for temperature profiles for your meat. Not that I know anybody that would do that. Who would do that? <laughs> Who would do that? I can't imagine anybody doing that. You know, and there's also technology uh, that has been around for a while, but the, probably the, the best right now is called the iGrill, where it's a probe-style thermometer where you stick the probe into the meat, and you've got a little piece of hardware that sits outside of the cooker that uh, has a Wi-Fi connection to your Android or a phone or your, your iPhone, and it'll give you a, a live reading of the inter- internal temperature of your meat and you can set it to beep or a, set an alarm when it reaches the temperature you want, which is super fun. Sure. And in competition, it's really handy. Well, you, you know, especially when you get into competition, I mean, you guys go all night. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're, you're, it really is what, it's what I call high ceremonial cooking, where you, you are tending that meat. <laughs> and uh, some people even have equated it to like a moonshot, where you're cooking a brisket and it's like you're launching your sa- ca- your capsule to the moon and you have this window where you have to you want that meat to be peaking for the 15 minute period 18 hours from now that you're going to be turning it into the judges uh so it can be kind of complex uh still though it's still cooking a big chunk of meat over a fire and 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 that doesn't change it's just a lot of fussing surrounds it and, you know, I was thinking about, you're asking me what kind of gear I would buy with that $5,000. If I bought a uh, that cooker and I had a few dollars change left over, my favorite pieces of barbecue gear is a Tiger Torch, which is a low-tech. But, you know, the kind of propane torches that, they, that asphalt roofers use? Sure. The uh, big ones. Yeah. It makes a really awesome sound. This, and I use it to start my charcoal. And and in competition, it's great because I think it kind of intimidates my opponents. They're sort of lighting (laughs) theirs with with little starter sticks and matches. And and I've got this, you know, 100 decibel. I'm going to light it right now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, I light my big green egg with an electric coil. I don't like using the paraffin or anything that smells. But electric coils have no drama. You stick it in the charcoal, you turn it on, you wait a few minutes, and then it's lit. Yeah, and that, that's fine, but it's not as much fun as a tiger torch. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> but so, and as far as barbecue gear goes, then you've got, after these kind of uh, more professional models, if you really want to go for it, there are uh, lots of companies in the U.S. 
that will make you a custom barbecue pit. And there's a guy, actually, a friend of mine named David Close, who's got uh, who lives outside of Houston, and he's got like a, a a metal fabrication yard, and he's been in this business for a long time, and he makes custom barbecues, custom barbecue pits for the stars. So he's made a barbecue out of a NASCAR car. Um, he's he made one that looks like a giant Jack Daniels bottle. Um, made one that looked looked like a locomotive world's longest barbecue and he'll you know do whatever you want as long as you got the money to spend on it and um and that's kind of like if you want to get really way into it um i remember you know continental airlines got him to build a pit that looked like one of their newest jets and wow quite amazing well it's like you're going to spend as much money as you want if, if you're looking for gadgets this is an industry with gadgets Yes, and the beauty of it is, un- unlike some other uh, kinds of gadgets, uh, it's something that your spouse will put up with more because the end result is some of the tasted food on earth, mm, right? Yeah. Right. Although, I got to admit, I trashed a few racks of ribs at the beginning of my career. Bad. It's easy. It's easy to, I mean, ribs, I think, are one of the most difficult things to perfect. Sure. I, I, I mean, the big three, so brisket, pulled pork, ribs. What's the easiest one? pulled pork i think uh, I, for for people who are starting out uh and trying to cook real southern style barbecue to put cook a whole pork shoulder uh, kind of overnight on your smoker uh is pretty foolproof you, if you if you cook it long enough and just take a little bit of care you're gonna have great great barbecue pork yeah and it, i i don't know most pork shoulders come in when i get around here about four or five pounds and you can have them done in six seven hours put them on in the morning ready for dinner yeah, that's true. And I mean, I always like to cook a uh, roast like that with the bone in, but you certainly can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ribs, I think, are, are harder, but the technique, uh, you can get them down pretty good. Yeah. The time is shorter, too, because they're not as thick. And brisket's the toughest. That's the hardest thing to perfect. And I think uh, a big part of it is getting the right cut, because brisket can be very lean. And unless you live in you know, the American South, where you're going to b- get really nice, big, fatty briskets at the Fred Meyer down the road, yeah. and there's going to be 12 of them in the cooler that you can choose from, it's it's difficult to get a good cut. And especially in Canada, I mean, c- Canadian beef, sadly, is raised a lot leaner than that in the U.S., and pork's the same. So is a lot right. of it grass-fed? Canadian yeah, beef? It, it, Canadian beef, Alberta beef is, is range-fed and then barley-finished. And it's excellent, but it is, it's leaner. Yeah. And, um, and that means that's not good for barbecue because the fattier the cut, just generally the fattier, the better. And the, yeah, making friends with your butcher and let him know what you do with it, saving a cut for them to say, hey, here's what I did with your meat helps in them selecting <laughs> the right meat for you. Yeah. And, and yeah, also the size of the cut. I think uh, I was just corresponding with a guy who was asking me, you know, I was having trouble cooking good brisket. And he said, well, you know, I, I bought a four pound piece of brisket and I tried to smoke it and it didn't turn out. And, um, you know, the mass of the meat really matters in something like a brisket. And I recommend, even if you are, you know, basically live alone, uh, cook a whole one, uh, enjoy it, freeze it, chop some up and put it in your bake beans, share it with your friends, but it's still, you know, do something, but cook the whole thing. 
Yeah, you do need the whole thing. And the amount of effort's about the same whether you cook one pork shoulder or two. I always end up cooking two just so you have – and then you freeze it because you can always – I even cut it up into one-pound chunks and then freeze it because it's instant on – the magical thing about pulled pork more than anything is that it smells like bacon if you heat it up in the fry pan. I can wake <laughs> up groups of teenagers from stone-cold sleep just by taking a half a cup of pulled pork awesome. and dropping it in a fry pan for 10 minutes. That's all it takes. Well, and the, and, and as you say, you know, you've got this space in your smoker or your, your, your barbecue pit or whatever it is. Use it. And one of the things that I recommend is – you know, you take your your brisket or your shoulders off of the pit, and it's still producing heat and smoke. Yep. Why not use that? You know, take some really good sea salt or kosher salt, put it in a baking sheet or, or a, a cake tin, put it in the smoker, throw some more hardwood on the coals, and you'll make really delicious smoked salt that is unbelievable. You put mm-hmm. that on anything, and it'll give it a smoky taste. Put some, slice some onions uh in into like even just slice them in half put them in the smoker for a couple of hours and man you take those onions and put them in a tomato sauce or make smoked onion soup it adds a whole nother layer of flavor same with cheese nuts you can add barbecue flavor to almost any food smoked tomatoes you take fresh tomatoes Nice ones that are a bit still a bit firm, oh. but nice and ripe. And you put them in the smoker for half an hour. And they are not even cooked. They're just infused with smoke. Maybe they're, the skins crack a little bit, just like you would be blanching a tomato. And then chop those up and put them in a guacamole, and it will blow your guest's mind. The, 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 they will say, what? Where is that flavor coming from? It, And it gives vegetarians... Uh, some of that smoky flavor that they don't get unless I mean you can even smoke tofu for goodness sake. You absolutely can. What do you say to folks who who where they smoke something and it comes across acrid? Well, you know, you got to use the right wood. Mm-hmm. If you use green wood, then it produces creosote that will give your your uh, whatever you're cooking a little bit of a bitter taste. Yeah. If if you um, just simply put too much smoke to whatever you're cooking, that'll do the same. Yeah. And a lot of people think that they should really soak all their wood that they put on their on the flames. I know, Richard, you kind of have used a combination of soaked chips and dry ones. I've just stopped soaking now. I find it makes it things better. Yeah. If you just use regular dry hardwood, that puts less soot and creosote and it gives it more pure vapor. Because really what you're doing is you're putting this aromatic hydrocarbon vapor into this cooking chamber, which is going to penetrate the meat. It, do, meat. it doesn't have anything to do with smoke as we know it as soot particles. It's those magical vapors. And you'll get, in fact, when a real barbecue pit is going full steam, uh, you don't even see any smoke coming out of the chimney. Or if you do, you'll see puffs of white or bluish white smoke, which is mostly steam because the fire is going and it's being, you've got this vapor penetrating the meat. So use less and use, use dry wood. I've also found that folks run the smoke. They soak the wood because it catches fire and it's because they're running too hot for really getting good smoke. I agree. And and the way to prevent that is to wrap your wood chips in, uh, in foil. Yeah, so a couple of layers sort of, of foil, just poke a few holes in it so that it's forced to smolder. It doesn't, doesn't have enough oxygen to really mm-hmm. catch fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I'm the, I love the chemistry side of this. So I've been, I uh, found some good research papers 
people have studied barbecue pretty extensively, talking about how the wood releases a large amount of nitrogen while it's burning and, be- and it becomes nitrogen dioxides. And nitrogen dioxides are highly water soluble. And so when meat is wet, which when you think about most barbecue preparations, you always coach your meat in a salty solution of one form or another, some kind of rub or something. And that tends to pull more moisture out of the meat. That moisture, that water interacts with the nitrogen oxides, uh, nitrogen dioxide that then becomes a nitrous acid. So it actually becomes sodium nitrate, which is a, a meat preservative, which is where all the smoking thing came from in the first place. But it's also what makes the meat pink because it fixes the myoglobin in the meat. I love it. That is geeking out to the highest degree. <laughs> well, I, so I've been playing lots of games with how pink can you make meat? Because, <laughs> you know, in traditional smoking techniques, when you go back to, to you know, pre-technology smoking, they would smoke hams for weeks and they would be pink all the way through. Today, we have industrial machines that literally inject nitrates into the meat to make it pink. But uh, you could still do the same thing if you keep the temperature low enough. And it's, it's right around 140 is where the meat will keep pinking up as long as you keep the temperature that low. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in barbecue contests, you want a nice red, deep smoke ring. The judges look favorably on that. Although, isn't it now against the rules? Because people were creating fake. Like, you want to carry an instant smoke ring, just get a little insecure number one, which is sodium nitrate salt, and rub it on your meat. Then rinse it, it off. Ten minutes later, you got pink meat. It's true. And I think that in the formal rules of barbecue contests, the brisket judges are not asked to judge the uh, the meat based on the smoke ring. But if it doesn't have one, they're not going to judge it as highly. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's because it's less appetizing. Well, some people react. I don't know if you ever had this reaction. I've, give, I've served brisket with a deep smoke ring. People say it's undercooked. And I'm like, dude, that meat is really cooked. It's not pink because it's raw. Well, in fact, a lot of people um, have, I, I mean, I know a guy who ran a restaurant who tried to serve smoked chicken thighs on the menu, right. and uh, they had a smoke ring because he'd done such a good job, but his customers kept sending it back because they said it wasn't cooked because it was still red. And um, Got to put up a fact, sign. I've yeah, seen well, signs it, in barbecue joints. Yeah. Well, Disneyland, there's... Um, uh, one of the restaurants at Disneyland is a smokehouse that sm- sells whole turkey legs that are that have been smoked. Love it, by the way. It's, it's great, isn't it? But it's there's a big sign there that says, if your meat is red, it means it's cooked. Don't worry about it. Right. Yeah, just trying, funny how people have got that into their heads, too. I mean, I, I actually feel like these days, like the same thing about cooking pork to death. Like, you don't have to cook pork all the way th- so hard anymore. It's not eating garbage. These, you know, Berkshire pork is gorgeous, and it doesn't need more than medium rare. I agree. I love I love pork like that, and, and uh, to cook it any longer, it just turns dry and unpalatable. Yeah, and that's why you always have to soak it in sauce, which is, you know, there's a cultural thing around this. Are you hiding your poor quality barbecue in sauce? Yeah, that's big in, in Texas, you know, Sauce has even been only introduced in some into the, some of the restaurants in the last five or ten years. It was like a travesty if you even had sauce in your restaurant. Pure barbecue should the sauce should complement. It's all about balance, right? You don't right. want the meat swimming in the sauce, but a nice tangy sweet sauce is a perfect way to offset and highlight the flavor of the meat. And so, a lot of places, uh, 
don't even call it barbecue sauce. They call it dipping sauce. It's the sauce that you dip your barbecue in after it's cooked, and then you can control the amount, and then you can actually taste the meat. I, I like that. I think that's fair and the right way to go. You like uh, coleslaw on your pulled pork sandwiches? I think it's necessary. A great coleslaw is, again, it, it complements the meat. It gives love- some crunch and some tang. I, you too, Carl? I love coleslaw. I consider myself a coleslaw snob. <laughs> yeah, I do. And, and to you know, it's hard to get coleslaw right because if it's too sweet, it's like eating lettuce with ice cream, you know? Yeah. And if it's not sweet enough, it's not, you know, it's got to just have a little sweet to it. But but I love the celery seed, you know, a little vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had one old woman tell me once that the secret to good coleslaw is to blanch the cabbage in oil just a little oh. bit to soften it up first before you, you know. And add a few calories. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick blanch in oil. Uh, probably water would do the same as well, but not, not to make it soft, but just softer, a little softer. Well, my, my secret to a great coleslaw is to use toasted cumin seeds instead of celery seed. And it adds this fantastic, earthy, kind of uh, s- s- almost smoky crunch to the slaw. When you, when, you, when you bite into one of the cumin seeds while you're eating your sandwich, you kind of go, wow, there's this little pop of this earthy flavor. Yeah, you know, it's interesting part about all this is that good quality meat, but really taking taking the spices seriously, not just stuff in packets and, and jars, but getting the whole seeds and, and heating them a bit first, getting a little toasted, grinding them yourself. I ended up getting a separate spice grinder. Just, just because <laughs> Why the, am I not surprised? I love it. Well, and it's just a coffee grinder you never put coffee into, right? Yeah, But it 20 makes bucks, the spices pop. Like it just, just transformed. Suddenly, I had to use less spice. Like, I went and got really good paprika, which is hard to find. But I got it in, in a, uh, um, a Middle Eastern specialty store. Well, suddenly, I couldn't put cayenne in my barbecue anymore. This paprika was so fresh and so hot that you had to be careful with it. I love that. I mean, I, I think that toasting spices, I mean, that, that goes back, way back. I mean, if you're cooking Indian or Asian food, most dishes start with oil in the pan and then whatever season, you know, spices you're going to use go in the oil to get toasted and bring that flavor out. And that's how I cook barbecue sauce. And by the way, uh, same, same idea. It's sort of like a Western version of a chili paste that you start out with. So Ronnie, where can we find your show? Cause you do a, a, a weekly barbecue podcast. Yes, thank you. I mean, it's called the Barbecue Secrets Podcast, and we've stopped recording for this season, but we put a bunch of great episodes in the bank. So I encourage people to go and you can find it on the iTunes uh, store, uh, you know, if you subscribe to any other podcasts on on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. There's lots of them out there for for your smartphones. And you have a great intro. Thanks. That's my my friend Amos Garrett, the famous Blues man, blues session guitarist who's uh, a friend of mine, and I traded him some barbecue for that music. No kidding. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Wow, great stuff. Well, Ronnie, I, this has been fantastic. What a geek out show this has been. Thank it you. It was fun. You guys are enthusiasts of of every persuasion. Well, and I got a feeling you are the, uh, you know, the, the Richard Campbell of barbecue and you're. <laughs> if only. <laughs> oh, no, no, uh, we know it. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, you guys, uh, Richard, you know, I've known Richard for quite a few years and he has been, I consider him my podcasting mentor. So excellent. Well, thanks again. You're welcome. Have fun and get out there and get grilling. Yeah. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a tie boy. Life is hard.